What is up, health enthusiasts? It's Coach Lambie here for Working Weights LLC, your guide to strength, health, and all things nutrition. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dwayne Ulrich, a.k.a. Hey guys. Poppy Doral. That's right. Today, we are going to talk about how to lower your cholesterol. All right, Dwayne, what is up? I am all about lowering cholesterol, man. I, I yes, yes, and uh, and I want you, I want all our viewers to know that we're working on a, a blooper reel. Which, yes, uh, we have know, a blooper reel. Yeah, look for that to come out in the near future. <laughs> all right, yeah. So, um, kind of had a, a mention about. So we had a couple of podcasts dealing with cholesterol and meat and and blood cholesterol, and somebody was like, "Well, hey, man, this is all great." what am I supposed to eat in order to lower cholesterol? So I thought, well, yeah, that's pretty good. Let, um, let's maybe start putting out some how-tos on uh, 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 getting people moving in the right direction in their goals. Let me share my screen. I do have a couple of things that I want to, uh, that we'll go over first. Let's get out of that one. So these are some things that uh, I saw this week. So these are new New publications, and we have one here, Compliance with U.S. Government Nutrition Advice and Concurrent Obesity Trends Using Nurses' Health Study Data from 1980 to 2011. And so this is uh, stuff that we've already covered. So we went over the 1977 Dietary Guidelines, and then we also looked at that red meat study that looked at the Nurses' Health Study 1 and Nurses' Health Study 2. So Coming out of here, we can read in the background, beginning in 1977, the U.S. government began formally issuing dietary advice, a main objective of which was to reduce and prevent the prevalence of obesity in American population. Concurrently, the Harvard School of Public Health began conducting dietary intake surveys and collecting body mass index data on female nurses in the Nurses' Health Study 1 and 2. The objective of this particular publication is they aim to assess whether compliance with the nutritional guidance from the U.S. government to restrict dietary intake regarding total fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol was meaningfully associated with the prevalence of obesity. And so they analyzed the Nurses' Health Study 1 and 2, and they kind of split everybody into two categories. One was the people who complied with that um, guidance on um, fat, total fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol, and then the other group was the ones who did not comply. And so what did they find? So the mean and median BMIs for both compliers and non-compliers increased throughout the sample period, and the BMI distribution shifted towards obese and severely obese overall and for an age-controlled subset compared to the 1980 Nurses' Health Study 1 and 1990 Nurses' Health Study 2 baselines. Compliers, so those people who were following the guidelines on fat, had slightly lower mean BMI increases compared to non-compliers but saw a relatively higher increase in the growth of the prevalence of compliers whose BMI grew to over 30. They mm. found no linear relationship between fat proportion and concurrent BMI. Their conclusion, guidance from the U.S. government to limit fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol consumption was widely adopted by American female nurses during the study period. Our results show that compliance with this guidance had little, if any, effect in mitigating population-wide BMI increases during our study period. Wow. So... So let, let me get your takeaway. Well, I don't have a takeaway yet. I, I'm kind of Nothing. confused on what's like why. So both compliers and non-compliers um, 
you know, so the BMIs for both of them increased somewhat through the mm -hmm. sample period. And I'm not, really, I'm not really sure why. I'm not sure why. So wrap my head around that. So this is kind of going around in the, um, in the groups that are, we covered this when we went over the, the, the dietary guidelines, the ones who blaming the whole obesity epidemic on the guidelines, you know, the problem didn't start until those things came out and those yeah. things recommended reducing fat. And that's what caused this obesity problem. And so what they're showing here is like, well, they're, they're taking those nurses health studies and splitting it up into compliers and not compliers and who followed the recommendations on fat and whether or not that helped with BMI. Now on, you know, just reading it at first here, we might go, ah, oh, well, shucks, you know, like, you know, people, people who did comply didn't really see much of a difference than those who didn't. It was a little bit less, but not that much, but Given that we did go over our 1977 dietary guidelines. <clears throat> well, I just want to we, toss, I, I know I'm butting in, uh, I shouldn't do that. But go ahead. Go so ahead. when we looked at 1977 and we looked at the newer one, which was 2007? Uh, 2015 to 2025? Yes. So I think we just proved that the, it wasn't, the. it's not the guidelines issue because both versions of the guidelines were pretty close to, to each other and advocated eating good food and a healthy diet. So we can't really, they can't blame it on the dietary guideline to mm. prove that. Well, they're, yeah. So they're saying here that the people who did comply with the guidelines really didn't see any of a difference than the people who did not comply. Right, right. So going back to our guidelines here, now what they looked at is those who complied with the recommendations on total fat saturated fat and cholesterol and whether or not that had an effect on BMI. But if we go back to our 1977 guidelines and we look on why the recommendations were for what they were for fat, saturated fat and cholesterol, we're going to read from the uh, highlighted area here. Uh, the amount of plasma cholesterol, that is cholesterol in the bloodstream, has been shown to be a good indicator of risk of heart disease. That is, the higher one's plasma cholesterol, the higher one's risk of having heart disease. Likewise, the lower one's plasma cholesterol, the lower one's risk of having heart disease. Research indicates that diets high in cholesterol and or high in saturated fat raise the total plasma cholesterol levels. Conversely, a low cholesterol diet and or one high in polyunsaturated fat tends to lower total plasma cholesterol. This research indicates that altering the saturated fat intake has a larger impact on the level of plasma cholesterol than does altering the intake of cholesterol. So we have to ask the question, why was the recommendation for fat, saturated fat, and cholesterol what was that meant to achieve? And we see here that the purpose was to reduce the risk of heart disease. Right. It had nothing to do with BMI or obesity, right? Ah. So we can go back up. Now, they did have specific mention to uh, obesity and overweight, and we can see that they included a new goal, which was to avoid overweight, consume only as much energy or calories as is expended, if overweight, decrease energy intake and increase energy expenditure. So the guidelines recommendation on preventing obesity and reducing obesity was specifically on the management of calories, not fat. The recommendation for fat was about heart disease. So this study here that's making its rounds and is, you know, being used to 
support the notion that the guidelines made everyone fat and they didn't have any effect is actually looking at the wrong input and output. Now, had they have measured heart disease in compliers versus non-compliers, I think we would find a different picture. I, I understand. Yeah. Be- yeah. Because heart, heart disease has decreased since yep. then. Yep, yep. Right now, if we look at whether or not people are complying to the guidance on calories and BMI, we would probably find a difference between compliers and non-compliers. Does that make sense? Yes, it did, actually. All right. So um, one, one of the questions that I kind of get sometimes is like, well, why, why do you go, why do you bother to go that far into um, reading this stuff, getting that granular? And it's kind of like, it kind of comes down to a reading comprehension level. So the, yeah. whoever, whoever was involved in this study, I don't think really. So either, either they read it and they comprehended it and they did this study and they put this information out because they're trying to be shady. They're, they're trying to push a narrative or they didn't comprehend what they read in the guidelines, right? I just did. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those things is if you're not going that granular into it, then you can walk away with the wrong kind of conclusions from things. And this is another one. Both of these um, were released this month. So November, this is in JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, a food is medicine approach to disease prevention. And I'm going to link these in the show notes. So this one is basically kind of talking about um, providing food for free uh, to those who need it. So kind of like a government assistance for food as a medicine or as a preventative towards disease. And then also trying to look at incorporating that into an insurance model. So insurance companies right now will often pay for medicine. So once somebody develops diabetes, insurance companies will pay for medicines to treat diabetes and and, um, save, but there really isn't anything in regards to food. And we know that diet and lifestyle interventions do and can have a significant impact on those diseases. And so this article kind of looks at that and why the NIH and the USDA and and other entities like that haven't put this into approach. And we see this question come up a lot in social media is uh, why isn't there an emphasis from our government? Why isn't anyone helping us with these lifestyle interventions and stuff? And so they, they kind of lay it out in here. They kind of say like, well, you know, number one, um, people who are given assistance either through the government or by insurance companies to get their medicine, take statins, for example, people generally tend to stop taking statins after about two years, even though it has an immediate effect that they're able to see and feel people generally tend to stop taking medication. So there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that if we were to provide food for free for people that could help with their lifestyle and reduce the prevalence of diseases, there's really no data out there showing that it would actually, that people are actually going to eat it and that it's going to be beneficial. So this is a good article. It lists a whole bunch of reasons as to why the government isn't putting a bigger emphasis on this. Is you know, it's kind of like, well, if we devote all of this money, there really isn't good evidence showing that there's going to be a return on that in in the public health. Does that hit home? Yes, it uh-huh. um, I, it did. I, I thought I saw something in uh, one of the previous paragraphs, but I was wrong. Oh, 
I was looking for that. Number one, that. And I also caught real quickly, a couple paragraphs back, I caught how much money they're they're currently putting towards or government entities are putting towards that. Uh, the food is medicine programs now, which. Um, yeah. So right now the NIH invests $1.9 billion yeah. in research. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they talk about, you know, calls for more funding for more, uh, you know, research, more funding, more this, more that. And then later in this article, and it's not very long, I highly recommend everybody go out and read it. It's just a few paragraphs, but it's just kind of like, you know, it's good to read this stuff because you get the the opinion from the government side or the people who are making our recommendations, you get their opinion on this in these articles. And this is often what's missing in the public discourse where we're questioning the government's motives or why they have made certain recommendations is we people aren't reading these uh, articles that they're putting out or the guidance that they're putting out, the reasoning they're making recommendations or not making right. certain recommendations. And so right. once you read right. something like this, you get a better understanding of where we're at, why they're doing the things we're doing. So right. I just right. felt like these uh, uh, these two would be good things to beginning right. of our right. topic today. Right, right. Oops, I'll have to get that one back up, <laughs> but I'll link it in the show notes for everybody. So, all right, let's get into talking about how to lower cholesterol. Let me pull up my mind note here. Let's make that a little bit bigger, brother. There you go. That's good. Whoa, that? that's good. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. Okay. okay. There you go. Good. So talking about our cholesterol, we have our total cholesterol, which is made up of our HDL and our LDL. And then um, when you go get your lipid panels done from your doctor, you'll often see triglycerides in there as well. So we're going to talk about how to improve these markers through diet or lifestyle interventions and uh, hopefully give you guys some practical things that you can walk away with and make some changes that are going to improve your lipid panels. So... In regards to HDL, um, we went over the uh, the cholesterol and muscle gain episode, um, and we saw that there was kind of this uh, suggestion that raising HDL is good. HDL doesn't seem to be a very good marker for much, especially right. if it's if it's out of range, too high or too low. Now we have. Um, we have had clinical interventions in the past where they looked at raising HDL through pharmacological medicine to raise HDL in seeing if that would help with uh, heart disease or cardiovascular disease outcomes. And it really didn't do anything. It really didn't. And so what they kind of learned from that is that uh, even though we may see uh, you know, a raise in HDL, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to something. So it kind of gives us the suggestion that the amount of HDL isn't as important as how effective that HDL is working. And so just because it goes up or down doesn't mean that's necessarily good or bad. And like I say, we have a range for that. We have below the range and, and above the range. And we kind of find that being within that normal range, within that reference range, seems to be the best on long-term outcomes. All right. Um, uh, the HDL levels also seem to be concordant, which means that they tend to follow LDL levels. So as LDL goes up, you'll also notice HDL will tend to go up as well. Not all the time, but it kind of does. Um and you can raise HDL by replacing unsaturated fat with either total carbohydrates or saturated fats. But again, just doing that just to raise HDL because it is 
quote unquote protective actually doesn't translate to long-term outcomes. So we're going to talk about lowering LDL. And this is probably um, one of the big things that most people are going to be concerned with here. Okay. So the LDL, the largest effect that we see in lowering LDL comes from replacing saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat. Now it doesn't come from lowering total fat. Okay. So I, I, hopefully I can make this clear. If you're currently consuming 30% of your daily calories is fat, okay, and let's say that 15% of that is saturated fat, replacing some portion of that saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat seems to have the biggest effect on lowering cholesterol. So your total fat is still 30%, but where saturated fat was 15 before, now it's lay like seven. Okay, but total fat is still 30%. Am I making that clear? Yes, yes. Okay. So the total fat number by itself is not the indicator. It's whether or not you've uh, you know, lowered the um, saturated fat. Yes. And increased like polyunsaturated fat. Yes. We're not we're not switching from whatever your current fat intake is to a lower fat diet. We're just replacing. Right. So we would be replacing butter with a um, high polyunsaturated fat margarine, right? right? Or we're replacing butter with olive oil. So that's what I'm talking about. So if it's, if it's 200 calories from butter, we're replacing that with 200 calories from a polyunsaturated fat. On the flip side, quick question uh, would mm -hmm. be, so say you lowered your total fats from 30 to say 20% and, uh, but your, your uh, uh, saturated fat was real high, still real high and polyunsaturated fat was low. So just lowering total fats still isn't a health, a health move, is it? I mean, it's, it's better the, than 30, it, but you know, yeah, it's but still, you're still not running going a high to risk. Be, yeah, if your saturated fat content is still high, so yeah, let's yeah. say that in this case where it was 30% before and we went yeah. down to 20%, if right. your total saturated fat was 20 grams and then yeah. we reduce it to, let's say, 18 or 17, you're not going to see a very big change right. in your LDL. Right, right, uh, right. So the, the bigger change comes in leaving the total fat alone, but getting your saturated fat way, way down. And that comes by replacing fat um, sources. Yeah, so we're talking about of, butter, right? Yeah, about butter. Instead of sure. butter. So, and then instead of um, coconut oil, using some other unsaturated fat in place of that, instead of right. animal sources of fat, we're right. eating more uh, avocados and nuts and things. Right, right. Right. All right. So the biggest effect we see is from replacing saturated fat with a polyunsaturated fat. The second largest effect <clears throat> comes from replacing saturated fat with monounsaturated fat. And that monounsaturated fat specifically being from vegetable sources. And we also see a good benefit from um, dairy sources, but not so much from other animal sources. Okay. If we think about polyunsaturated fat versus monounsaturated fat, so Olive oil or avocado oil would be good sources of monounsaturated fat, whereas something like canola oil or safflower oil or something would be a good source of polyunsaturated fat. Got it. Even though both of them have a little bit of each. So yeah. that would be a way to think about it. Okay. Cool. The third largest effect comes from replacing saturated fat with whole grains. So that's where you're talking about. We reduce total fat from 30% to 20%. Right. If we replace that 10% of fat, that saturated fat, 
with whole grains, we would see an LDL lowering effect, but it's not going to be as high. Okay. Now, if we replace that saturated fat or that total fat with refined grains and sugars, we actually don't see any change at all, really. And in some instances, it actually goes up a little bit. Right. Right. And then I have this one highlighted here. So let me see if I can. So reformulation initiative for partial replacement of saturated with unsaturated fats in dairy foods attenuates the increase in LDL cholesterol and improves flow mediated mediated dilation compared with conventional dairy. This is the reset study. And so in this study, what they did is they took some dairy products um, and this is a crossover trial. So everyone was their own in uh, control. So you don't have a control group and an intervention group. Everyone did everything. And what they did is they took the saturated fat component of dairy and they removed that and they replaced it with polyunsaturated fat, and they looked at what effect that had on LDL. And so by removing that saturated fat and replacing it with polyunsaturated fat, we saw decreases in LDL um, and redu reduction in cardiovascular disease. Okay, So we know that reducing saturated fat and, and uh, replacing it with polyunsaturated fat has a, a pretty significant effect on lowering your LDL. And this is, so this is a good study um, to look at that because it's the same thing, right? It's Dan Dairy. It's not two different sources of things. All right, they right. did is went in and removed the saturated fat, which is a, a completely mind boggling and kind of cool concept that they can actually just take some milk, remove the saturated fat and replace that with a polyunsaturated fat. Kind of bizarre, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to wrap your head around that. A little bit. All right, so no effect replacing saturated <clears throat> fat with refined grains and sugars. So some dietary patterns to look at for this would be the portfolio diet, which we're going to go over a little bit today, the DASH diet, which is dietary approaches to stopping hypertension, Mediterranean diet, a Nordic diet, and all forms of low to moderate fat vegetarian or pescatarian diets. And low fat, low to moderate being 30 to 20% of your total uh, energy intake. Okay, just for grins, uh, I don't know what portfolio diet is. Uh, I don't know what pescatarian is either. Okay, so pescatarian would be... Is that like Catholic? I don't know. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So pescatarian would be um, a vegan diet with fish added to it. Ah. So pesca coming from, uh, uh, it's Latin being fish. It's vegan light. So basically you don't eat... Uh, any meat sources or any animal products except for fish, fish and seafood. Okay. okay, cool. Okay. So let's talk about the portfolio diet. So this is a new PDF. Of course, this will be linked in the show notes um, that the uh, uh, David Jenkins is the, is the researcher's name. He came up with the portfolio diet and this diet actually has clinical evidence to back it up. Uh, and if you were to follow it, which would be a pretty restrictive diet, but if you were to follow it very, very closely, you, they actually have achieved LDL lowering that equals that of a statin. Wow. So this goes over what the portfolio diet is, right? It's a way of eating. Evidence shows can lower cholesterol and your risk of heart disease. Instead of focusing on what you can't eat, it's all about what you can. And so we, we can see things over here to the left and the right. We've got eggplants, chickpeas, veggie burgers, soy milk, almonds, beans, oatmeal, plant sterile, margarine, tofu, walnuts. All right, so how does it work? Take a few dietary patterns, put them together, 
and you can invest in any one pattern, some of all of them. So uh, increasing nuts, legumes, and cereals. And those cereals are not like Captain Crunch and Lucky Charms. Those are uh, oats, barley, rye, things like that. Dog. Increase your consumption of fruits and vegetables. And then choosing meat alternatives or plant-based meat alternatives. All right. And here's what they recommend. Okay. So increasing your nut consumption to 45 grams per day. And this could be all, kind of any kind of nut, but walnuts actually seem to be the, 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 the most beneficial. 45 grams per day would equate to a 5 to 10% lowering in your LDL. Getting 50 grams of plant protein per day would equate to a 5 to 10% lowering. Two servings of viscous sti sticky fiber. And so this you would think about, um, so we have soluble fiber and unsoluble fiber. And that means whether they dissolve in water. So if you think about a fiber source, like um, if you break open an orange or an apple and the the fiber that's within there, if you were to mix that up in water, we would kind of have something that is kind of gelatinous, creates a gel or something, right? Another good thing is chia seeds. When you add chia seeds, it kind of makes like a thick pudding kind of substance. So that's the type of fiber that we're talking about compared to... Um, let's say beans. So what's in beans, if you were to mix beans up, you, it would settle to the bottom, that fiber or the fiber in uh, leafy green vegetables. That is not the type of fiber that they're talking about here. And you can see they have specific recommendations, apples, okra, eggplant, oatmeal, strawberry, oat bran cereal, barley, that type of stuff. So two servings of that would equate to a five to 10% reduction. And then the plant sterols. Now, my understanding for the plant sterols uh, is that these actually can be atherogenic, so they actually can contribute to heart disease if you currently have high levels of them in the in your in your system. So a good recommendation if you were to want to supplement plant sterols is that you actually have to get a blood test done to find out how much is in there. Because if you start supplementing on top of a high serum concentration, you could actually do more damage than you get the benefit from. But this plant sterols, we can find them in things like uh, uh, margarines that have plant sterols in them, all of our oils. So olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, uh, coconut, sorry, uh, canola, soybean, those probably be the most um, common ones that you'll find in people's home. And there are juices and yogurts, but uh, I don't know that I would worry about supplementing with those, but you could get a five to 10% reduction. I just want to say yeah. real quick, so in, in this conversation, um, I, I have to admit that, so I take a statin, mm -hmm. okay? And just to say that on both the uh, the sticky fiber and what was the one before that, the um, yeah, yeah, plant, plant, protein. pro mm -hmm. plant proteins, and then one more, go up one more. That's the, um, yeah, the nuts. nuts. So nuts, plant protein, and the sticky fiber, even if you don't do anything with the sterols, Dude, that's between 15 and 30% reduction mm -hmm. in cholesterol. That's huge because mm -hmm. just for, for me, I'm always real conscious about um, there's certain things you have to do if you're uh, if you're taking a statin to like prevent liver liver damage. Mm -hmm. And just so long-term use of a of a of a, ster of a of a statin can have complications. I'm not saying it does or will every time, but it can have a complication. So just like these amounts, like uh, nuts, 
plant proteins. If you don't want a veggie burger, good lands. Tofu, beans, soy milk, chickpeas. I love chickpeas. And then the sticky fibers. I could do, what was it, uh, two servings a day of oatmeal? Two servings, yep. Easy. I love oatmeal. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. If you're con- if you're serious about getting your cholesterol down, that's nothing yeah. compared These to medication. These are easy things to do. Uh, we, you know, we looked at the swap meat trial, and just by replacing red meat with the Beyond Burger and uh, what is it? Would we say once products. or tw- once or twice a week, maybe three times tops, and you're just uh, a well huge in the, change. In the, yeah, in the swap meat trial, they replaced all of the all of their red meat with plant-based alternatives but they saw a 10 on average 10 point yeah. reduction in ldl that's yeah, yeah. kind of that's kind of significant so the Agreed. cutoff for ldl is 100 we ideally want to be below 70 so if you were at 110 if your ldl was 110 109 just by replacing all of your red meat with these plant-based meat alternatives you could yeah. get yourself into that um, normal yeah. range, right? The yeah. inside the reference range. Yeah. So that puts you into a lower risk category right. just by Absolutely. doing that. Absolutely. And that's not even including adding any of this other stuff. So yeah. we're looking at overall, um, you know, you could achieve, uh, like you said, 15 to 30% reduction. So if you had an LDL, so the average, the, the, uh, the national average is 130. Yeah. So if you have an LDL, of 130 and you put these steps into action and let's say you actually achieved 30% reduction. Yeah. That would bring you from 130 down to 91. Yeah. Okay. And that's, yeah. that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. All right. So great PDF here on the portfolio diet and specifically looking at how to lower your LDL cholesterol. And uh, again, we have the the dietary patterns here. So if you were to look at how can I incorporate this into my diet? How do I make that stuff taste good, be enjoyable? So you have all of these different dietary patterns that you can look at. So you can look for recipes online with these dietary pattern names. All right, we're going to talk about triglycerides. So this would be another thing independent of LDL. So you could actually have normal LDL, but have high triglycerides. So having high total cholesterol or having high LDL, we kind of reference that as hypercholesterolemia. And then right. you would have hypertriglyceridemia. Right. So lowering triglycerides, high triglycerides tend to come from uh, high intakes of refined carbohydrates, which is weird to think about because triglycerides are fat and are carbohydrates. And you're like, well, why would eating more carbohydrates increase the amount of fat that's floating around in my bloodstream? But it does. All right, so we see the largest effect, lowering triglycerides, the largest effects come from replacing refined grains and sugars with whole grains and fiber, all right? The second largest effect comes from replacing those refined grains and sugars with unsaturated fat, particularly omega-3s. And you will see a lot of things online about um, supplementing with fish oil to reduce triglycerides. Right. Uh, I think I have this down here. Yeah. Uh, third largest effect is replacing total carbohydrates with total fat. Now, again, this is kind of like um, replacing saturated fat with whole grains. There's a reduction there, but it probably doesn't come out to be clinically relevant. And then we have the uh, uh, supplementing with fish oils. And so this actually, we do actually have um, 
how to put it, medicinal quality fish oil that your doctor can actually prescribe. Uh, some doctors prescribe two people with high triglycerides to actually lower the amount of triglycerides in there. I would recommend probably just trying to get that from your diet. So increasing the omega-3s from fish. So replacing um, red meat, poultry, and pork with more fatty fish. You can also um, do a supplement, EPA, DHA supplement. And some dietary patterns to help would be a high fat type DASH diet. And you can actually look these up. There are high fat di DASH diets, a higher to moderate Mediterranean, vegetarian, a pescatarian, and portfolio diet. And so high fat would be 30 to 45% of your intake would be from fat. Now, somebody might ask the question about ketogenic or very low carbohydrate diets. These would be really, really high fat. There does not appear to be superior results specifically on triglycerides coming from those diets or those, those dietary patterns, that style. And then the way people are doing them also tends to increase your LDL cholesterol. So you may see a, a, a triglyceride lowering effect, but you'll find that your LDL cholesterol goes up because people generally tend to eat a lot of saturated fat when they do those diets. Wow. So you may, you may achieve, um, you know, a benefit from one, but then you're increasing your risk from the other. All right. Some other things that help exercise lowers all of this stuff. Stop smoking and using tobacco lowers all of it and, uh, reducing alcohol consumption lowers all of it. Weight loss lowers all of it. Now, uh, in regards to HDL again, so I want to stress this because there's a lot of bad information on HDL out there. Moderate alcohol consumption has actually been shown to increase HDL cholesterol. And both of those things together have been associated with colorectal cancer and some other cancers. Okay. So this, when you hear somebody online talking about raising your HDL, like we read in the, um, in the article on the cholesterol and muscle gains thing, there's kind of notion like, well, your HDL goes up. So that's good. We don't see yeah. benefits from that, from raising yeah. HDL. So I just want to try to drive that home. All yeah. right. And so we, um, how can we incorporate some of these things and know that they're going to work? All right. So you would get, uh, if you don't have one already, I would suggest getting some lab results, getting that lipid panel done. If you are concerned with lowering any of these things, you probably already have it. And your doctor has probably advised you to work on lowering these things. So you have a before. And you would start by making 5% changes, okay? So uh, in terms of LDL, lowering your LDL, you would work at reducing about 5% of your total saturated fat and replacing that with polyunsaturated fat. So these would be easy things to do, okay? So let's say that you're eating, um, I think the average is about 20 grams of protein per day. Right. And so you would replace five of that. I would just go ahead and... and look at replacing um, around five grams of saturated fat with polyunsaturated fat. And so that equates to a, a one tablespoon of butter is 14 grams. Right. So we're talking about a third of a tablespoon of butter, making that yeah. substitution, do that for about three months and then get some blood work done and see if your LDL cholesterol is moving in the right direction. You of course can make larger changes than that, but if you're concerned about really, um, you know, making changes that are going to be long lasting and is going to have the correct effect, you know, you can just look at making 5% changes a little bit at a time. And so for lowering triglycerides, 
try and replace some of the um, refined grains and added sugars with whole grains and fiber, which is going to be, you know, just do one thing. If you were just to, to replace, let's say you're having croissants or something for breakfast, replacing that with some oatmeal, some overnight oats, something like that, nat naturally sweetened with a little bit of honey and some fruit. And then getting doing that for three or four months, going back and getting some uh, blood work done and making sure things are moving in the right direction. All right. So that is about it for today, man. Good stuff. Yeah. Nice short one here. All right. So I hope you guys put this stuff into action. If, of course, if you have questions on any of this stuff, you can always contact me, Dustin Lambert at workingweights.com. So hopefully, well, I don't think I blew anybody's mind with any of this stuff today, but uh, hopefully somebody takes something from it. I'm going to take something from it for sure. Um, just looking at lowering the uh, saturated fats, um, you know, the polyunsaturated with uh, those, those differences in uh, within those fats, as far as your total fat intake for the day, that was interesting to me. And uh, clues me in on some things is maybe get the focus on that for myself, even mm -hmm. cutting down on some uh, just straight up butter. Gosh, I got to say, I'm just like in the last month, man, I, I've been hitting butter pretty hard. We've had a lot of croissants <laughs> laying around the house. Well, okay, not around the house, but we've had a lot of croissants in the kitchen. And uh, man, I love putting butter on a croissant and uh, just cutting that back alone. Just a third of what I was using is a huge change. And then for those of you out there that, that maybe just tuned in, but um, so the changes in that, uh, in that diet, if I can get anywhere between 15 and 30% to lower my uh, LDL, mm -hmm. that'd be awesome. So yeah. I think yeah, the, uh, we're going in here. So one, yeah, of the, yeah. one of the trouble people are going to have would be getting this 50 grams of protein a day. And that's going to require a significant amount of change on people's um, in people's diet. You you really do have to just stop eating meat, basically, yeah. um, and getting a lot of it from plant protein. But uh, I recommend that to all of my all of my well, not fifty grams, but I try and and recommend it to to all of my clients or anybody I talk to is uh, you know look at trying to get between five and fifteen grams of protein each meal from a plant source. And so an easy way to do this would be a half a cup of beans. That's about five grams, right. a half a cup of whole grains. And this can be in the form of um, rice or uh, they sell these medleys that, that uh, generally come frozen things ready to be microwaved. I think uncle Ben's actually has one too, like cool. a whole grain trio or blend. So you'll generally get about five grams from a half a cup of that. And then, you know, you can add some, some vegetables to your plate. Yeah. Um, I think a cup of broccoli has about five grams, a cup yeah. of spinach has about five grams. So you can add those things and that's 15 grams of protein right there. Yeah. If, if you are concerned with building muscle or losing fat, staying lean or whatever, we now can reduce that 15 grams of protein. So let's say I'm trying to get 30 grams of protein in my meal total. Right. Where most people are going to be getting that from meat, right? You're just, they're just flat out looking at 30 grams of protein from a meat source and then they add stuff to the side. But putting the emphasis on these plant proteins, getting that 15 grams in there, you can already see how much food that is, right? Half a cup of beans, half a cup of whole grains, a and a cup, 
a cup, an entire cup of green vegetables like broccoli or spinach, it's a lot of food. Now yeah. I can reduce the amount of protein that I'm getting from this uh, animal source, which is also reducing the amount of saturated fat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you can see how things can shift very easily there. Yeah. And you and can even, even replace that. You can even replace that animal source of protein with something like tofu or these plant-based meat alternatives. And now you've really reduced the amount of saturated fat in your diet. You yeah. throw some canola oil on that stuff that you're cooking it with. Um, and you can, you can very, very easily get to this point where you're changing your LDL cholesterol. And if it was, and if people see that as a difficult thing to do, which uh, at first, at first glance, I'm going, holy cow, that's a big change. But what if you just do it in, in increments? So instead of trying to get mm -hmm. 20 grams, you know, to get 20 grams of, of, of red meat protein, you know, just cut it, cut it to 10 and increase your vegetables or cut it to five and, you know, increase your vegetables. So I would just, just look at, just look at adding these things into your diet. So you'll yeah. find 45 grams of nuts. It's not a super lot, but it is kind of a lot. So if you yeah. just started adding nuts to your daily diet, you're yeah, going to yeah. find that you're less hungry, especially yeah. if you get this stuff first thing in the morning, right? So let, yeah. let's say uh, you're adding nuts to your oatmeal or maybe yeah. um, like I like my Greek yogurt and my fruit yeah. in the morning and I, sometimes yeah. I add nuts to that. You're going to yeah. find you're less hungry later on, right? Yeah. So you start doing that. You're less hungry. You eat less of other stuff later in the day. You start working on increasing your amount of plant protein, right? So you're like, okay, I'm going to start adding half a cup of beans to my meal every time I eat. You're going right. to find that you're less hungry and you eat less of these other things. So just by, by adding these things into your diet, rather than looking at subtracting things, you'll find that you end up subtracting things, um, you know, just kind of as a result of adding these things in. So right. I have a right. lot of people who, who are concerned about, as I tend to make recommendations at increasing plant protein. We start to worry about, well, how many calories I have during the day. I only get so many calories. And if I'm not getting enough protein, but, and, you know, I always tell them like, look, these things I'm recommending, beans, whole grains, and vegetables that are high in protein are not associated with weight gain. So right. yes, this one meal that where we're replacing a large portion of animal protein and plant protein, yes, that one meal has more calories than it did before, but you're eating less calories overall total because we're increasing the amount of volume and the amount of fiber and everything that was missing from your diet. Right. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Very good. That's good stuff. Mind blown. Yes. There you we go. My mind's blown. By the way, uh, just for those cool. of you that are looking at it, I've been sitting here take, taking notes. If you see me looking down, I'm like, Oh, I need to do that. So good <laughs> stuff, man. I love my yogurt. I love my oatmeal. But um, yeah, I'm, I've got some changes that I'm going to make. So very cool. All right. Very cool. So yeah, I think uh, maybe for this month of December, we'll just uh, focus on um, kind of these guides on how to um, incorporate these things into your life and how to address specific things. So maybe next week we'll talk about um, lowering blood sugar. How's that? Yes, do that. All right. Very good. Well, blown Dwayne's mind. Hope I yes. blew somebody else's. Yes. Uh, hope you guys take something away from this. Lambie out. <laughs> <laughs>